This program is made possible by the members and donors of the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Louis C.K., The Green News Report, The Young Turks, The David Pakman Show, Le Show, Moyers and Company, The Bugle, The Progressive Magazine, and The Majority Report. And a note that if this were an episode of Battlestar Galactica, it would contain a lot of profanity. But if you don't know what I mean, just ask a nerd like Sam Cedar. You believe that God gave you the earth, that God created the earth for you, why would you not be have to look after it? Why the fuck? Why would you not think that when he came back he wouldn't go, what the fuck did you do? I gave this to you, motherfucker. Are you crazy? The polar bears are brown. What did you what did you do to the polar bears? Did you shit all over every polar bear? What did you, who did this? Who spilled this shit? Who spilled this? Come over, did you fucking spill this? What is that? It's oil, it's just some oil. I didn't mean to spill. Well, why did you take it out of the fucking ground? Because it wanted to go faster. And I was cold. What the fuck do you mean cold? I gave you everything you needed, you piece of shit. Well, because jobs. What is a job? What is. Explain to me, what's a fucking job? You go, like, you work at a place and when people call when they, their game doesn't work and you help them figure it out. What do you do that for? For money. What do you need money for? Food. Just eat the shit on the floor. I left shit all over the floor. Fucking corn and wheat and shit. Grab it and make some bread. What are you doing? Yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't have, like, bacon around it, and, like, I like when it has, like, like, bacon on it, and bread. It's something unattainable that you can't live without. And now the unexplainable as you. It's official. The Obama administration's Environmental Protection Agency has released the first ever greenhouse gas emission standards for new power plants. It's a really big deal since power plants currently account for 40 percent of our carbon emissions. The carbon pollution standards we are proposing today for new power plants are both flexible and achievable. That was EPA Administrator Gina McCarthy announcing the historic standards required by a Supreme Court ruling in 2007. Why do these standards apply only to new power plants? Why do these standards apply only to new power plants? Well, here's Gina. We need to act today, given the fact that any investment as large as a power plant is going to be hanging around for a while. And so is the pollution for decades based on the regulations they put in place now when they build the plant. Exactly. Now, these new standards are already being met by most natural gas power plants. They'll be difficult, however, for new coal plants, unless companies invest in carbon capture and storage technology, which the coal industry says is too expensive. No new coal plants are being proposed in the U.S. right now 
anyway, because cheaper, cleaner natural gas is already pushing coal into the dust. Well done. And yet the coal industry for years has been bragging about their clean coal technology. I guess it just doesn't exist. Oh, it exists. They just don't want to spend the money on it. Oh, well, well. Boo-hoo. See you later, Cole. The real battle will come when the EPA tackles emissions from existing power plants next year. Meanwhile, a recent report on U.S. air pollution shows that the nation's top 50 dirtiest coal-fired power plants, if they were combined into a country, put out enough air pollution to qualify on their own as the seventh biggest polluter in the world. That's right. The top 50 dirtiest coal plants in the U.S. combined put out more pollution than all but six countries in the world. A new study partially funded by the fracking industry inadvertently proves the need for more regulation on fracking. The study shows that wells using the best new technology can substantially cut dangerous emissions of methane, a potent greenhouse gas. Critics say it shows the industry can produce gas with very low emissions. They simply choose not to. As one researcher said, quote, they do better when they know they're being carefully watched. As we said before, we're already seeing a deluge of propaganda from the climate change denial industry in advance of the latest U.N. climate report due on Friday. At a climate conference this week, former Vice President Al Gore says there should be a social cost to denying climate science, much like racism and homophobia are now socially unacceptable. We have to put a price on denial. I remember when one of my friends made some racist comment and another one of my friends says, hey, cut it out, man. We don't talk like that anymore. Speak up. And when these conversations about climate take place, don't let denial go unchallenged. Headline, Al Gore has racist friends. This is where the party ends. I can't stand here listening to you and your racist friends. I know politics for you, but I feel like a hypocrite talking to you and your racist friends. More than a dozen residents in Greenbrier, Arkansas, are suing fracking companies over earthquakes that have been linked to fracking. And uh, Greenbrier, Arkansas, isn't the only city where they're experiencing this issue. Uh, You also see this happening in Youngstown, Ohio. So we actually have a CBS Evening News report that explains why this happens. So we'll take a look at that, and I'll explain more about the story. These earthquakes were sitting there waiting to happen. We have triggered these earthquakes. Armbruster believes the trigger was this Youngstown well that disposes of contaminated water trucked in from Pennsylvania and beyond. The water is a byproduct of oil and natural gas extraction called fracking. The disposal well pumps thousands of gallons of the waste into rock a mile or more below. Armbruster says the fluid may have made its way into an earthquake fault line. Pumping the fluid into the fault encourages the fault to slip. 
So there you go. There you have it. You know how this is, uh, you know, happening right now. And one thing that I should note is a lot of these companies that do the fracking have decided to stop fracking in those particular areas because of the earthquakes that they have caused. However, the number of earthquakes that Youngstown, Ohio, has experienced is insane. So they never really had any uh, seismic activity there until the fracking started in Youngstown, Ohio. A recent study linked a spate of over 100 earthquakes, 109 to be exact. To the process used to dispose of wastewater from hydraulic fracturing or fracking, um, and I should note that one of the earthquakes was a magnitude 3.9. So people did not expect that, and of course, when you live in an area where you don't experience earthquakes, you're like, "Whoa, what the hell is that?" So in Greenbrier, Arkansas, they had similar experience, and 12 residents have gotten together to file. Five lawsuits against the fracking companies, um, and you know, of course, we'll see how that goes. Um, but the companies basically make the argument that, hey, we realized that there was a problem, and we stopped afterward. So as a result, you guys should just drop the lawsuits and leave us alone. Yeah. So in one of the quotes here is in Greenbrier, Arkansas, there weren't hundreds of small earthquakes, but thousands. <laughs> so, uh, I, but I like the Youngstown, Ohio example even better. We, they went from zero to 109. Gee, I wonder which way the evidence tilts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, it's so, hard to tell which way it tilts because the meter is like going like this constantly. <laughs> yeah. So I, look, it, it seems pretty clear. Now there's a look. There's disadvantages to acquiring energy in so many different ways, right? So the energy conversation gets to be complicated, but it doesn't help if you ignore facts. And the fracking has some upsides, right? But one of the clear, clear downsides appears to be that they cause earthquakes or intensify the number of earthquakes that are happening. That seems pretty clear at this point. If you hear someone denying it, it's likely because they're making money from the opposite direction. I mean, when you see that video, the animation of what fracking, what they actually have to do, and then I'm sure you guys have all seen the videos on YouTube where people turn on their water and light and then it just explodes into a ball of flame. I mean, it proves every science fiction movie that I love about the future, how we are literally going to destroy the planet because we're drilling in it, our water is blowing up on fire. Water shouldn't turn into fire, as far as I know, generally. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw Elysium, but the whole point of the movie is that Earth is destroyed and then the rich people all have to go to this thing that's hanging around our, our atmosphere. And we're, we're getting there. We're genuinely getting there. We have people like Richard Branson are, are making you know, the space station for us to go to, and while here, we're all sitting here drinking fire water. Well, it's I'm nuts. just wondering how much evidence we need to finally start investing in renewable energy. I mean, I get it. As soon as the Obama administration does it, and let's say a company like Solyndra fails, Republicans will jump on that, corporatists will jump on that and make that the prime example of why it's a bad idea. But if we're really thinking about, you know, the, the long-term sustainability of our entire planet, we need to focus on renewable energy. I mean, study after study, incident after incident proves that, and it, we got to get real about it. I mean, yeah. we're really running out of time. I, it, it reminds me of the, the Texas um, entrepreneur that I did a segment on recently, Ham. He's a huge Republican donor. He was going to be the top energy advisor for Mitt Romney, which is hilarious, because he's one of the, he's the 78th richest man in the world, and he got his money uh, on shale oil, right? And, and he says... No, 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 renewable energy, they shouldn't have subsidies. That's the government intervening. They point out to him, but wait a minute, you have giant yeah, yeah. subsidies mm -hmm. for your business. He says, I know, but I need those. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> and by the way, well, he, ironically, he doesn't at all. He's the 78th richest man, and his company makes billions in profit. He doesn't need those subsidies at all. Well, and yeah. he also said that, you know, we can't do wind energy because those things just haunt you when you see them. We don't have time to do the story today, but we had it ready to go. Um, that they did this massive study and that these wind uh, farms don't actually decrease the value of homes nearby and things like that. Um, but yeah, like, it, the, the problem really is that when it comes to the fracking, when it comes to uh, the burning of fossil fuels that we believe is pretty clearly linked to uh, increasing global temperatures, they don't need to win the argument. They simply need to wait, make it difficult like to do anything in terms of policy, and then they just suck the wheel out of the ground for a few more years, for a few more decades, and who cares if that dooms us to losing our entire eastern coastline? That's, they want to make that money and then die. You know what I always and think? They've had, they've had a good life. Like, yeah. What do they care at that point? I, I always think it's fascinating that if you turn on Fox News, if a bird happens to get killed in a wind turbine thing, O'Reilly literally does a half hour on it. That a bird, bird flew into the thing because we're screwing up their air passages and blah, blah, blah. And yet we have BP oil spills that wipe out massive amounts of wildlife and destroy, you know, uh, the ecosystems and all kinds of craziness. But somehow, if one weird thing happens with a renewable energy source, yeah. my God, we've got to help. They love the birds suddenly. I know, and you also have to keep in mind that the oil rigs are really, really attractive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we want to make sure we keep those, you know what so, I mean? You know, yeah, they my, look good. Yeah, my favorite is the Republican congressman who say, well, the good Lord put the oil on the ground so we can take it and use it for energy. So the good Lord didn't give us the wind or the sun <laughs> so that we could use that energy? I'm yeah. pretty sure that the good Lord is responsible for that, too. And the movie reference I prefer is you don't have to go to Elysium. We all go to Lord of the Rings. We're the dwarves, and we keep digging and digging into the earth. And what are we going to do? Eventually, we're going to release the Balrog. One question I get a lot from listeners has to do with how long it takes me to make an episode of Best of the Left. Well, between all the research, show prep, and actual editing, it comes out to around 20 hours of work for each one of the 10 episodes I make every month. Obviously, this is only possible because of the listeners who chip in a few bucks each month to make it happen. So if you appreciate this show and think it provides a valuable service, then please think about becoming a member at the $10 a month level. That's only a buck a show after all. I've always believed in giving away the show for free so everyone can hear it without restriction. So if you can afford 10 bucks a month, that covers yourself and several others who maybe can't afford to pay but who need to hear the show as much as anyone. As thanks, members also receive bonus content including extra voicemails, behind-the-scenes stories, and more of my personal musings. Thanks so much for your support. You know, we often talk about Fox and Friends on this program, and we like to make fun of their silly little stories they do, the special interest stories with like a woman who smelled God or whatever the case may be. Those are stories that are concerning because they're part of the kind of mainstream television, cable news uh, uh, milieu, so to speak. However, they're not particularly damaging in an acute way, although in, co in context they all are quite damaging. I'm going to play a clip for you from Fox and Friends that is just literally incredibly damaging because of what, what's being said. Alex Epstein, who's the founder of the Center for Industrial Progress, went on Fox and Friends Saturday morning, and he literally brings a pet rock with him, and he says that fracking is actually incredibly good for the environment. Check this out. 
Yeah, my view is exactly the opposite. Uh, fracking is actually incredibly good for our environment. And there's, there's two reasons. One is that this rock right here, this exists 5,000 feet away from groundwater. So the last thing that's going to contaminate your groundwater is a fracking operation. But number two, look at the places in the world with the best environments. They're the places that use the most energy because nature doesn't give us a clean environment. We have to clean it up. That takes a lot of energy to purify the water, to grow crops, to make the world a better place. And that's why I titled my book, Fossil Fuels Improve the Planet. Yeah, this is like that argument, Lewis, that, hey, more carbon dioxide is good because plants breathe carbon dioxide. We like plants, right? Right, Lewis? I mean, this is just the most, um, uh, uh, th this is what happens when people, when, when people in the fracking industry, they need PR support, they just start throwing cash around and leeches like this guy show up and they say, sure, Center for Industrial Progress, it sounds great. I'll go around with my pet rock and talk about how great for the environment fracking is. Right, right. You're right. Damaging damaging is, is a subtle way to put it. I mean, the world would be a better place without people like this. Clearly, all he cares about uh, and all his, his center cares about is making money, big business, big oil, fracking, you name it. And the idea that that somehow the we need to clean up the planet because the planet itself is uh, inherently flawed. Right. Well, nature I mean, doesn't we do cause those problems. Nature doesn't give us a clean environment. We have to clean it up. What? Wait, we so nature would have given us the problem of figuring out where to put radioactive waste no matter what. Like if humans just arrived on this planet in the year 2013, without having ever been here before, we'd still be dealing with that. We'd be dealing with the fossil fuel issues and the pollution, garbage island out in the Pacific Ocean. Hey, that, that would have been there no matter what, Lewis. And the whole thing about the, the it's 5,000 feet away from the water supply or whatever it is that he said there. Uh, what about the radioactivity of the contaminated water? What about the water being flammable? Are you be, are you supposed to be able to light water on fire, Lewis? Is that a normal thing? You know, I'm I'm pretty sure that's not a normal thing, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's happened in countless places where fracking has started happening. No and, question. Uh, un unfortunately, uh, there are some government agencies that uh, that back the uh, big business when it comes to fracking and not you know and i understand that that alex epstein is getting paid you know he's basically a lobbyist for fracking but the fox news guy is basically playing it up and teeing up softballs for him he says with his concerned face no you know alex that some some liberals uh they're a little concerned about the environmental i mean what do you say about that and he has like the scowl like it's a very serious thing to him Tell me, Alex, you're the expert. Mm, what about those liberals? They're concerned. Is it, oh, no. Fracking is actually incredibly good for our environment. It is incredible in the sense that it has no credibility that fracking is incredibly good for the environment. Absolutely damaging and horrific segment on Fox and Friends. Hey, it's, it's Fox News. They call themselves news, you know.
What is hydraulic fracturing or fracking? Since the Industrial Revolution, our energy consumption has risen unceasingly. The majority of this energy consumption is supplied by fossil fuels like coal or natural gas. Recently, there's been a lot of talk about a controversial method of extracting natural gas, hydraulic fracturing or fracking. Put simply, fracking describes the recovery of natural gas from deep layers inside the earth. In this method, porous rock is fractured by the use of water, sand and chemicals in order to release the enclosed natural gas. The technique of fracking has been known since the 1940s. Nonetheless, only in the last 10 years has there been quite a fracking boom, especially in the USA. This is because most conventional natural gas sources in America and on the European continent have been exhausted. Thus, prices for natural gas and other fuels are rising steadily. Significantly more complicated and expensive methods, like fracking, have now become attractive and profitable. In the meantime, fracking has already been used more than a million times in the USA alone. Over 60% of all new oil and gas wells are drilled by using fracking. Now, let's take a look at how fracking actually works. First, a shaft is drilled several hundred meters into the earth. From there, a horizontal hole is drilled into the gas-bearing layer of rock. Next, the fracking fluid is pumped into the ground using high-performance pumps. On average, the fluid consists of 8 million liters of water, which amounts to about the daily consumption of 65,000 people, plus several thousand tons of sand and about 200,000 liters of chemicals. The mixture penetrates into the rock layer and produces innumerable tiny cracks. The sand prevents the cracks from closing again. The chemicals perform various tasks. Among other things, they compress the water, kill off bacteria, or dissolve minerals. Next, the majority of the fracking fluid is pumped out again. And now the natural gas can be recovered. As soon as the gas source is exhausted, the drill hole is sealed. As a rule, the fracking fluid is pumped back into deep underground layers and sealed in there. However, fracking is also associated with several considerable risks. The primary risk consists in the contamination of drinking water sources. Fracking not only consumes large quantities of fresh water, but in addition the water is subsequently contaminated and is highly toxic. The contamination is so severe that the water cannot even be cleaned in a treatment plant. Even though the danger is known and, theoretically, could be managed, in the USA already, sources have been contaminated due to negligence. No one yet knows how the enclosed water will behave in the future, since there have not yet been any long-term studies on the subject. The chemicals used in fracking vary from the hazardous to the extremely toxic and carcinogenic, such as benzol or formic acid. The companies using fracking say nothing about the precise composition of the chemical mixture. But it is known that there are about 700 different chemical agents which can be used in the process. Another risk is the release of greenhouse gases. The natural gas recovered by fracking consists largely of methane, a greenhouse gas which is 25 times more potent than carbon dioxide. Natural gas is less harmful than coal when burned. 
but nonetheless, the negative effects of fracking on the climate balance are overall greater. Firstly, the fracking process requires a very large consumption of energy. Secondly, the drill holes are quickly exhausted and it's necessary to drill fracking holes much more frequently than for classical natural gas wells. In addition, about 3% of the recovered gas is lost in the extraction and escapes into the atmosphere. So how is fracking and its expected benefits to be assessed when the advantages are balanced against the disadvantages? When properly employed, this technique offers one way in the short to medium term to meet our demand for lower cost energy. But the long-term consequences of fracking are unforeseeable and the risk to our drinking water thus should not be underestimated. sell fracking like a war cnbc has uh, reported on an oil industry conference at the hyatt regency hotel in houston a little while back an industry confab panel discussions light refreshments and exchange of ideas things took an unexpected twist though cnbc obtained audio tapes of the event on which one presenter could be heard recommending his colleagues well, listen for yourself. Download the uh, U.S. Army slash Marine Corps counterinsurgency manual. Because we are dealing with an insurgency. Uh, there, there's a lot of good lessons in there. And uh, coming from a military background, I've, I've found the insight in that extremely remarkable. Another speaker at this conference on fracking. That's what the subject of the matter is, uh, the hydraulic fracking industry, told his company, told uh, attendees that his company has several former PSYOPs specialists on staff working in the Pennsylvania area. One thing that we've worked a lot on at Range is just getting more proactive in the community. It's not something that we've done before. In other parts of the nation, it makes no sense for us to do that. In other parts of Pennsylvania, for instance, we have several, um, I think Matt raised the issue of, of looking to other industries, in this case the, the Army and the Marines. We have several former PSYOPs folks that work for us at Range because they're very comfortable in dealing with um, localized issues and local governments. Really all they do is spend most of their time helping folks uh, develop local ordinances and things like that, but very much having that understanding of PSYOPs in the, in the Army and in the Middle East has applied very helpfully here uh, for us in, in Pennsylvania. You never know when PSYOPs is going to come in handy. Might as well have them on hand. You know, some people, they just won't understand. They just won't understand. They say, thank you for your message, but I don't understand. I just won't understand. They say, 
As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. A very recent report from UNICEF just out. Uh, the study is titled Climate Change, Children's Challenge, and the report argues that children bear the brunt of climate change even though they are the least responsible for it and that they are passionate and vocal, as your daughter was, about the need for action. Absolutely right. Every way in the world I go, from the United States to China, young people get it, they're concerned, they understand that we are running out of time, and they believe more and more that the current adult leadership of the world is betraying their future. But I want to believe that there is enough humanity in all of us that even the CEO of a coal company, an oil company, or a gas company can actually, fossil fuel companies, have children and grandchildren. And I'm constantly in my conversations with the leaders of the fossil fuel companies as well as other polluting companies. I'm saying to them, listen, put your children and your grandchildren's future in the middle of this conversation. And I think history is going to judge this generation of adult leaders extremely harshly because, you know, maybe 30 years ago you could say we didn't know, the climate science was not so clear and so on. Today, there is no excuse for not taking bold, urgent action and to do it in a creative way that gives us a win for the climate but also gives us a win, for example, on jobs and, uh, and on addressing things like economic development. In that context, take the Arctic. You have said that it's insane to drill in the Arctic. Why? Well, the very fact that drilling in the Arctic is even a possibility today in the parts where they're going is precisely as a result of the burning of fossil fuels, of burning coal, oil and gas, right? And, you know, it wouldn't have been possible. The, the Arctic is melting in the summer months. And last year when I was there in the Arctic, the day that the world record for the lowest minimum ice level ever recorded in human history was last year, August. Now, you know, I say to my American friends always, you know how Americans have uh, this uh, uh, saying which says, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? I say, unfortunately, what happens in the Arctic does not stay in the Arctic. How so? Because the Arctic serves as a refrigerator and air conditioner for the planet. It helps regulate global temperature and, uh, and, and the climate and by reflecting the harsh rays of the sunlight away. Now, uh, so, so the whole climate system in the world is related to the level of the Arctic sea ice. That's one. Secondly, when we look at the melting of glaciers in places like Greenland, for example, that melting 
has already contributed to sea level rise around the world. And there are glaciers that are at risk, massive glaciers the size of countries that uh, could easily, with further melting, uh, move off the land and end up in the sea, again causing uh, you know, further um, sea level rise. If we continue as we are, Right? If we continue as we are, essentially, we are signing a death warrant for the future generations. Many people think we're doing that, as you know, from just reading the, the press. Yeah, yeah, no, they no. Say it's too late. Yes, well, you, you know, the, this is a good question uh, because I got asked recently there are some people who say it's too late. What is your view? And I say, do you, they ask, do you agree? I say, I agree and I disagree. I agree because for some people in the world, it's already too late. For those people who are losing their lives from climate impacts now, let's be very clear, it's too late for them. For parts of Africa, it's too late. Let me give you an example. Uh, and, and, and you know, one of the problems is our leaders don't connect the different issues and challenges that we face. Because if you take the genocide in Darfur, in, Darfur. in Sudan, the media largely reported it as an ethnic, come quasi-religious sort of conflict and so on. But that is your first major resource war brought about by climate impacts because Darfur neighbors Lake Chad. Lake Chad used to be one of the largest inland seas in the world. And the climate science warned us decades ago that as a result of a warming planet, the Lake Chad was under risk. As the current Secretary General of the United Nations, Ban Ki-moon, puts it, Lake Chad is now shrunk to a size of a pond, right? So uh, water scarcity, land scarcity, and food scarcity as a result of an absence of water and, and, and land uh, was the toxic mix that created conditions for identity ma manipulation by opportunistic politicians that saw that horrific events happen. Now, uh, so for some people, it's going to be too late. However, we are still in a small window of opportunity. And that's where I disagree with people who say, give it up, it's all over. There's a small window of opportunity in terms of time. I would say no more than five to 10 years. And that actually is being optimistic. That if we can take the courageous, bold steps that we need to take to shift our planet in an energy revolution that takes us to bringing down um, carbon pollution, but doing it in a way that also generates millions of new jobs in a uh, inclusive green economy of the future, if we were to do that, still the majority of people on this planet can be secure. So yes, for some people it's too late, but for the majority of the planet there is still time, but that time is shrinking very, very fast. And based on current practice and of governments, uh, if we continue like that over the next coming years, then sadly I think it will be too late. You know what you're up against what you see as potential destruction happening faster and faster in the Arctic, the oil companies see as opportunity for drilling even deeper because there is reportedly a great deal of fossil fuel down there. Well, let me give you a picture, right? Think about the Gulf of Mexico oil spill. Right? BP. The, the BP oil spill. That oil spill required 6,000 vessels and thousands of people to actually clean up. You know how long it took, you know the consequences that the people of those coastlines 
faced in terms of their restaurant business, their fishing business and so on. Now imagine there's an oil spill in the Arctic and the oil spill happens towards the end of the Arctic summer, right? Just as the ice in the ocean is beginning to form again, the oil will be locked into the ocean for at least six months until the season changes again. So, you know, for people like myself and many people around the world, when President Obama was running for election, there were three phrases that resonated with us, which he used multiple times in all his regular stump speeches, right? Yes, we can. The fierce urgency of now, which is a phrase from Martin Luther King, and a planet in peril. In peril? Yeah. We understood a planet in peril was our understanding that climate change was actually threatening this life on this planet as we know it. Now, if you take something like Hurricane Sandy, right? Hurricane Sandy would have happened. Hurricanes happen. But you have to look at the intensity, the height of the waves, and so on, which is compounded by the impacts of climate change with regard to already, uh, you know, the sea level rise that we've seen, a warming ocean, and so on. So, uh, we must be very clear. We are playing political poker and uh, commercial poker with the future of the planet. And when you say a future of the planet, uh, we're talking about the future of children. You know, the one thing I jokingly say, you know, sometimes people say, save the planet, save the climate and so on. I say, the planet actually does not need any saving. Yeah. The planet's going to be here. And actually, the reality is if all of us warm this planet and destroy it and we all cannot survive here anymore, the planet will replenish. It will come back. Yeah. What is at stake? is humanity's ability to live in coexistence with nature for centuries to come. And there can be no more important ethical imperative for any political or business leader than saying, I have a responsibility to act in a way that does not imperil my children and grandchildren's future. I remember very well the speeches that President Obama made during the campaign that still resonate with you. You just quoted three memorable phrases, but I also brought with me an excerpt from another speech that President Obama, not candidate Obama, made. Here it is. For the first time in 18 years, America's poised to produce more of our own oil than we buy from other nations. And today we produce more natural gas than anybody else. So we're producing energy. And these advances have grown our economy, They've created new jobs that can't be shipped overseas. And, by the way, they've also helped drive our carbon pollution to its lowest levels in nearly 20 years. Since 2006, no country on Earth has reduced its total carbon pollution by as much as the United States of America. Now, the irony is this was part of a speech, a uh, larger speech, where he also laid out the plans to cut greenhouse emissions. You've got this paradox, this contradiction, this irony at the heart. Well, a lot of his uh, behavior has been acquiescence to the political logic of how money pollutes politics in the United States and elsewhere in the world. So if you ask yourself, why is it he would say something there? If you fact-checked fact what he said, I can guarantee you, you will find just that small clip will find holes. We are the, mo the country that does uh, the most uh, in terms of reduction in the last couple of years. That's false, right? Uh, and 
And so, we, why? Why? Why is it? It's very simple, actually. Which there is? are, for every member of Congress in the United States, including all the members of President Obama's own party, the fossil fuel industry, the oil, coal, and gas companies, fund full-time lobbyists to make sure that, in fact, no progressive, urgent climate legislation goes through. And if you look at how President Obama used the considerable political capital that he had coming into office to push the health care reform and how much he used to push climate change, which, by the way, health care reform is going to be meaningless if you don't address climate change because climate change is already generating new diseases, already reintroducing old ones that we thought we had defeated and so on. So we are disappointed, deeply disappointed, about how slowly it has moved. But let's be very clear. Investing today one fresh cent in new oil, coal and gas projects must be understood as an investment in the death of our children and their children. That's the implication of it. That the, the, so, but we are realistic. We don't think we can switch off oil, coal and gas tomorrow. We have to have a phased out approach of how do you do that. And therefore, what we say is that we need two approaches. We need a serious energy efficiency approach and we need serious investment in clean renewable energy options, all of which are growing. If you look at the amount of jobs that potentially could be created if our governments engaged in a serious energy revolution, which, if we are to prevent climate catastrophe, has to be in a similar scale like the Industrial Revolution was, where we really reconfigure our societies, uh, where we begin to value more the importance of clean water, which is a life-saving resource. Bear in mind, all of these industries suck up huge amounts of water, but also have a polluting effect, as fracking is doing to underground water, for example. Environment update now, and uh, unfortunately when it comes to the environment, the no news is good news concept does not apply. Uh, environmentally, no news means outrageous journalistic laziness overlooking <laughs> mounting global crisis. But look, there may be a plan B for the environment, and uh, not plan B in the American sense, which would be to give the earth a pill that would essentially abort the planet. Not that. <laughs> Lord Rees, uh, one of Britain's top scientists and the inventor of Rees's Pieces, <laughs> delivered a... Super little scientist, Rees. <laughs> Super scientist, loves himself a peanutty, chocolatey treat. <laughs> uh, he delivered a major address on potential scientific backup plans if carbon emissions can't be curbed within a couple of decades due to, I don't know, probably debilitating disease of people not really being bothered enough to do it. Uh, some of the options are apparently, essentially, uh, hacking the planet's climate by launching mirrors into space, seeding clouds, and triggering uh, 
blooms in the oceans. And if that sounds like a series of desperate moonshots, that's because they basically would be. Uh, Reese acknowledges that geoengineering is controversial uh, and also admitted that it would be an utter political nightmare. Although, you know, I think my utter political nightmare, Andy, would probably be going to sleep and, you know, maybe <laughs> dreaming that, you know, David Cameron was a fly and that he was landing... <laughs> On like a horse shit, and then he was flying over and landing on my face, and I couldn't swat him away. <laughs> that would be a political nightmare, wouldn't it? That would be a complete nightmare. But, uh, I mean, this, John, to me, this is absolutely fantastic news, because yep. we could be looking at an absolutely cataclysmic rise in temperatures over the next hundred years, you know, six degrees centigrade changing life on Earth, irrevocably leading to massive political and economic instability. And, as you say, the boffins have said we may well need... A plan B. And this, of course, whenever anyone says we may need a plan B, <laughs> this is translated by the world as, Yay! No need for plan A! <laughs> we are in the clear. <laughs> that is true. And also, this is the kind of thing, this is the kind of language, John, that politicians will understand. I mean, let's just take, as an example, you look at these mirrors, launching mirrors into space. If you tell little Vlav Lav Vlad Putin, no ru lover of the Russian Greens, that... <laughs> He's going to have to reduce Russia's carbon emissions by 20% over the next 40 years. Well, he's just going to glaze over and start thinking about what journalist he wants bumped off next or how cool gulags were. But if you tell Vladimir Putin that yeah. he can launch a giant mirror into space or change the sea, you will have his full, undivided attention and probably a complimentary ex-KGB goon. This is the way to get these things done. The, the mirror technique would apparently involve blasting mirrors into space and uh, strategically placing them so that they reflect sun sunlight away from the Earth. Of course, the other option, Andy, would be to turn the mirrors the other way round to force people to see what complete self-involved short-termist arseholes they're being by not addressing this massive problem in any significant way whatsoever. That would be... The, uh, either way. Either way. Just depends how you want to play it, which way you want to point them. There are various other Plan Bs, uh, as well as the giant mirror. Um, a plug at the bottom of the Atlantic. Um, find another planet. Uh, we've heard this week that the Voyager uh, spacecraft has left the solar system. Oh, yeah. And could easily uh, f come in contact with another star at some point in around about 40,000 years' time. And that star could easily have a planet attached to it. So uh, that's, that's something worth clinging to. Pray 2% yeah. harder at weekends. Um, also, with you know, with the ozone layer having disappeared, those prayers get up to God a bit faster as well. Um, to combat rising sea levels, uh, there is a possibility we could put all land on a five-meter hydraulic platform. Alternatively, uh, just ask Kevin Costner about stuff, or leave our fridge doors open for twenty minutes every day. So you know, there are there are things we can do, John. Failing well, let's all... call those let's call those Plan C, Andy. <laughs> Failing all... in which case we can just ignore Plan B altogether. <laughs> Failing all that, we can just fall back on the old. Tried and tested things to do in a time of crisis. Uh, blame the gays, ban contraception, or call a jihad. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Australia might not be quite as uh, as keen to uh, step up to the global warming plate uh, as it uh, previously was. They have a new prime minister, Tony Abbott, uh, described as a compassionate conservative. <laughs> Two words that don't always mm. go well. A lot of that compassion tends to be directed towards endangered billionaires. Uh, <laughs> in fact, they've been conducting a breeding programme, I believe, uh, in the uh, global economy in recent years, and quite successfully. There are now more billionaires than there were. It's amazing. If, if only they could do the same thing with pandas. 
Um, so uh, Abbott got in. It's, I mean, Australian politics has been a total fuck up uh, recently, um, as uh, I'm sure you found when you were out there. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Abbott replaced Kevin Rudd, um, and Rudd had initially replaced John Howard um, about six years ago, basically running on a platform of being uh, of saying I'm not John Howard. He was yeah. then ousted by Julia Gillard, running on the I'm not Kevin Rudd card. Rudd then <laughs> counter-ousted Gillard, saying, I'm not Julia Gillard. And Abbott <laughs> has now got in on a very powerful, I'm neither Julia Gillard nor Kevin <laughs> Rudd ticket. It's a dance as old as democracy itself. But his, his view on climate change, he described it as, quotes, absolute crap. <laughs> Which is... I mean, you've got to admire... His succinct analysis of reams and reams of scientific <laughs> research, argument and counter-argument. <laughs> Absolute crap. <laughs> Science is 98% confidence, Andy. That's, right. That's a fact. <laughs> just or, it's the, or it's the fact of a 98% confident scientist. <laughs> it's just witchcraft with a clipboard, basically. Um, but I guess it shows uh, John, uh, you know, he's a conservative, and c- conservatives, to me... Generally around the world, we've seen that conservatives are like a small magnetic boy at the bottom of a well during a coin sharpening and wish making festival. They fear change. I just need some comfort, some kind of belief that this war we're fighting can really bring some peace. There's no Security. It's been a long, long time coming, but I know a change is gonna come. And I'm trying to find it some better place. We're having the biggest gun in some kind of race. It's been a long, long time coming, but I know a change. On Friday, the United Nations releases its latest major report on climate change, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Fifth Assessment Report. It's a summary of the findings of all of climate science in the last six years. This is the first of four sections to be released over the next year and covers the physical scientific evidence. While there may be some word changes in the final document from leaked drafts, the conclusions are blunt. The IPCC is now 95% certain that humans are responsible for the observed warming seen all over the planet since 1950 due to the dumping of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere from burning fossil fuels. So they admit there's a 5% chance that Fox News was completely right and all of those scientists are completely wrong. Well, actually, 95% certainty is really scientific jargon. It is as good as it gets. It means they are as certain that humans are driving climate change as they are that smoking kills and that the sun will rise tomorrow. It's almost as certain as gravity. Yeah, well, I'm 5% certain the sun won't rise tomorrow, so we'll find out who's right about that. They say that the warming, quote, has warmed the ocean, melted snow and ice, raised global mean sea levels, and changed some climate extremes. Now, two degrees is the limit 
continent that world governments have agreed to target in international climate treaty negotiations. The IPCC report now predicts a global average temperature rise in the range of 1.5 to 4 degrees Celsius and potentially as high as 6 degrees, which is about 10 degrees Fahrenheit and far outside the conditions in which human civilization developed. The IPCC report says the effects are already coming faster than anticipated. They predict sea level rise of up to one meter by 2100, that's three feet, which would displace millions of people and billions of dollars in coastal infrastructure. And they also say that no matter what we do, even if we could stop all carbon emissions tomorrow, a certain amount of warming is in the pipeline, so temperatures will rise from the greenhouse gases that we've already dumped into the atmosphere. And that will impact water availability, food production, extreme weather events, and rising sea levels. So what am I to make of Fox News and the various newspapers of Rupert Murdoch, all of whom are saying that the IPCC report proves global warming is over. I would make nothing of them because the IPCC doesn't say that. Well, I'm 5% sure someone's wrong here. Now, some scientists do say that the IPCC is being too conservative and excluding data showing high-end impacts. In an interview with Link TV, climate scientist Michael Mann, author of the famous hockey stick graph, says that the IPCC appears to be including only the low-end impacts and not including or telling policymakers about the higher end of impact, which he says should be included in estimates of risk. Yeah, that's one point of the UN's report that people don't seem to talk about. It's actually a very conservative report from very conservative scientists. Meanwhile, all this week in New York City, several high-level conferences are focusing on solutions, gathering high-level environmental, business, and technology leaders and government officials from all over the world, forging partnerships to maximize the opportunities for innovation in climate action. As Christiana Figueres, the leader of the UN's climate program, explains. Can you imagine a future where Cars won't have fuel anymore, but they actually will be charged through inductive power just by going down the streets. Can you imagine a future where buildings will produce more energy than they actually consume? Folks, that's the future that we're talking about. It's actually an exciting future. That is the future of 2030. I'm Matt Rothschild, the senior editor of The Progressive Magazine, with my progressive point of view, which you can also grab off our website over at progressive.org. The latest report on global warming from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is nothing to sneeze at. The report says it is extremely likely that global warming is man-made, and the level of CO2 in the atmosphere is the highest it's been in 800,000 years. The panel predicts that sea levels are going to rise anywhere from 10 inches to about 2.5 feet by the end of the century, considerably higher than its prediction just six years ago. Global temperatures are predicted to rise anywhere from half a degree to 8.5 degrees by the year 2100. And check this out. The world hasn't seen a below-average temperature month since February 1985. 
If you think it's getting hotter out there, you're right. Each of the last three decades has been significantly warmer than all preceding decades since 1850, the panel says. As a result, we can expect to see storms that are a lot more severe in the years ahead, and there may be massive flooding in low-lying areas all around the world, with millions of people at risk. And if we don't reduce global CO2 emissions in a hurry, things could get even worse fast. So this is yet another wake-up call, which we better answer soon. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. In, uh, I guess, within the day, in a day or so, we're going to see the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, will release its uh, uh, report. Remember, these reports have been coming out since 1990. They have changed over the years. It is written by a worldwide group of several hundred climate scientists, it follows four previous reports released between 90, uh, 1990 and 2007. What you see over the years is an ever-growing sense of confidence amongst these climate Scientologists of both the phenomena of global climate change and the fact that it is man-made. According to one of the science, uh, scientists, we probably are underrepresenting our knowledge because we want to be real careful and don't want to overstate things. And so the report tends to be more on the conservative side than anything. Back in 1995, the group's second assessment said, quote, the balance of evidence suggests a discernible human influence on global climate. By the time you get to 2007 for its fourth assessment, quote, warming of the climate system is unequivocal, and it was now, at that time, very likely due to the observed increase in anthropogenic greenhouse gas concentrations. In other words, man-made greenhouse. In that case, in 97, very likely had a very specific meaning. It meant that 90% probability of occurrence. In the 2013 report, the group is expected to push that number into the 95 to 100% probability range between extremely likely and virtually certain. Remember, they are being conservative. This report needs to be approved by all of the more 190 governments that sign on to it. This is as 100% sure as you are likely to get.
Ken Galtera, an atmospheric scientist at the Carnegie Institute, said it has to be approved word for word by every single government. So you know they are making it more conservative to deal with different places like America where there still seems to be some uh, Neanderthal holdouts. This is not even to speak... Uh, this is not even to speak to what the report is actually going to say in terms of the increase in rate in which the, the globe is uh, warming, what's happening with the polar ice caps, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess it's not so much Rome burns while we all fiddle, but... Um, in some respects, the entire world burns as we all fiddle. Hey, Jay, this is Jake from New York Alt News, and I just heard your opinion on treating the gun violence problem in the country uh, more holistically. I couldn't agree more, and I also wanted to um, bring in the fact that uh, the problems that we're having in education should also be looked the, the same way at a social contract between the uh, taxpayer and the, uh, you know, the public and any citizen that sends their kid to school and, um, you know, needs their kid educated but also socialized into, you know, American society. As you might know, that the, the problems that are, that are going on here in New York State are insane with the, uh, the amount of testing that we've reached. And also this year, that what's new is that they're holding teachers accountable for the test scores of resultant students, including the test scores of students that you don't sometimes teach, or if you're a teacher in another subject besides math and English, um, they're all held accountable to either the math or English scores in the school. So it's, it's actually gone to the ludicrous. What, what they're trying to fix, though, is a, a general problem in school of uh, kids that are inattentive, kids that are no longer motivated, and it comes right back to this holistic way of looking at school, looking at the whole family, looking at the kind of food that they're eating, looking at whether or not there's poverty or crime or drugs, you know, interfering with the kids' education. If there's gang activity, um, gun violence is a big piece of this. And so um, I just want to echo what you're saying from a teacher's perspective, because what we're seeing going on in education, it's a lot more of the same. They're looking in the wrong area and they should be looking, you know, in a couple different areas at the same time that they're avoiding just to just to meet their their measured goals. For example, uh, they want gun more gun rights, or they want to uh, break teachers' unions. So it's sick, and so people should stand up against that. Thanks for what you're doing, Jay. Speak to you soon. Hey, Jay, it's Casey uh, from Chicago, Illinois, calling. Um, I just got done listening to your latest episode about gun control um, in the wake of the Navy Yard shooting last week. I'm calling because there were a couple of segments in the show that, that struck me the wrong way. 
there was a, a Young Turks episode. Guilty. Obviously, the video games drove him to it. Of course, the fact that uh, many of the other mass shooters did not play any video games, and the fact that tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of Americans play video games and they don't shoot anybody, that, of course, none of that is relevant. And that uh, David Packman episode, I think there was another one in there, I can't remember what it was. I'm committed to exploring the sources of gun violence. You know this is important, Lewis, we talk about it all the time. But I really think that focusing on video games as a cause of violence is just not a productive uh, use of time. But they talked about video game violence, and they, and they were kind of they were kind of making fun of it. And and now look, here here's where I have a problem with, and, and I've never really been a fan of Shane Cougar anyway. But his his cynical response uh, in the episode was, was kind of annoying because I cannot believe that there is not some correlation to the realism in in modern day video games. And the correlation that Rachel Maddow talked about with how in the last seven years we've seen violence, mass shootings increase as much as they have. And I understand there's a bunch of studies out there that show otherwise and there's millions of people who watch video games. All I'm trying to say is I think that there, we can't just say video games, no, that, that, that's not it. We can't be dismissive of the fact that video game violence, uh, for those of us on the left, may contribute to the potential problem of, of, of violence in our society. Just like we wouldn't, we would hope that those on the right are not dismissive that it's the gun itself. I, I, I'm a firm believer that it, we need to look at it comprehensively. You've been, you've been advocating looking at the issues from a mental health perspective, creating a society where people uh, have you know, healthy outlets for, for their aggression. All that has to be looked at. And I believe it was Mike from Washington, I think his name was Mike, the last call of the last voicemail, he took the word right out of the mouth. It all starts with money, and money in the political process. And until we can get the money out of the political process and out of the campaigns, we're never going to be able to have an effective conversation. We're having the conversations in forums like this, in mediums like this, but the effective conversation is basically being drowned out by the extremists on both sides. And I would argue that Wayne LaPierre, he's an extremist on the right side. And I would argue that we've got our own, like Ed Schultz and uh, Shank Huger, on the left side of things who are extremists and are arguing and, 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 and no one's listening to one another. And, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of a phrase, the greatness of Anne versus the tyranny of Orr. Why does it have to be an either or thing? Anyway, I'll leave it at that. Just food for thought. Have a great day, Jay. Thanks for all that you do. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Celia in Ohio. I really liked your like your show. I've been listening now for about a well, a month, but I've listened to a lot of your back programs. I wanted to comment about the gun violence debate. And after listening to the show, one of the real important points was completely missed, and that is that all of these shootings have been done by men. And, you know, all men aren't violent. And I think we need to figure out why some men do this. And, you know, instead of concentrating on mental illness and things like that, 
maybe we should concentrate on why some men just reach the point where they can't cope and the way they blow off their frustration is by shooting people. Just for a fact, um, mentally ill people are much, much more likely to be the victims of crime than the perpetrators of crime. So I don't know that all of these men were necessarily mentally ill in the classical sense, but that there's something about being disenfranchised or, or um, frustrated in their lives, they're unable to cope. And if this is a vulnerability, we need to, to research it and find a way to ameliorate the problem for these men. Anyways, I'll be listening to see what the comments are on the, on the gun debate. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment, question, or to relate your first-hand experience from a political event you've attended to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So over the past few months, I'm sure you've heard of the uh, the activism segments that have been going on. Those come to you courtesy of the Unfuck It Up campaign, and specifically from Katie Klebusik, who does all the research and writing to make those segments possible. But what what you may not know is that Katie also stepped up and took on the role of managing all of the social media for Best of the Left recently. And, you know, it, it wasn't hard to do better at the social media than I was doing before because I, I essentially didn't have the, the time, energy, or interest to engage uh, in all of those things. Before, it's just not my style. I couldn't push myself to do it. But, you know, she didn't just come in and do the bare minimum. She's doing a really excellent job uh, engaging with, you know, listeners and and starting conversations on on Facebook and Twitter and so forth. And um, so now that all of that is actually up and running and things are going really well, I wanted to encourage you to do something I haven't mentioned in a really long time. It's a system called Donate Your Account. It's a really, like, incredibly easy and powerful way for you to help promote the show that takes almost no effort on your part. And so the whole concept behind Donate Your Account is that you can basically, you know, if you decide that you trust Best of Left and you want to promote, you know, us as an entity, then you can uh, grant access, a minimum amount of access, uh, about one post a day maximum. Uh, so, you know, obviously we can't take over your accounts or do anything crazy like that. So you, you, you grant access for one post a day maximum so that when, when Katie wants to, you know, promote a new episode of the show or, you know, a, a really particularly great segment or a really gr- great conversation starter or something like that, that she can actually post it to not only our own site, but also to everyone who donates their account. And so then it gets spread like wildfire. It's, you know, an instant, you know, bomb of, you know, either retweets or posts on Facebook and that sort of thing. 
So there, there are, are slightly more details than that, but not much. That's really the basic idea. It's, it's not nearly as creepy as it sounds, we promise. And of course, you can cancel and revoke your, uh, you know, granting permission anytime you can revoke that. And so what you can do is there is a link pretty prominent on bestoftheleft.com in the top right hand area of the website it says donate your account, or you can go to donateyouraccount.com slash best of the left. You can donate uh, your Twitter or Facebook account or both preferably. And that'll help Katie enormously get the message out about, you know, all sorts of different things. And like I said, you know, maximum of once a day. So we, we can't possibly flood your, your feed you know, by any stretch, a maximum of one day. So, you know, since, uh, since she's doing a good job, uh, she's really, she's trying to do more and she's hampered by you know, the fact that I, I haven't been pushing this as much as I could have. And, and that's the single most effective and easiest thing to do. So that's a, just a really excellent thing. And I, I will try my darndest to keep mentioning it into the future. I had just fallen out of habit of it but that's going to be it for today thanks to everyone for listening thanks especially to those who support the show directly by becoming a member or making one-time donations it's absolutely how the program survives stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on facebook and twitter and for details on the show itself including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog so coming to you from inside the beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of washington dc my name is jay and this has been the best of the left podcast coming to you every third day thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com and it's a cry and shame how we get so trained